Hey, listeners, my name is Obiakwe Okolo, uh, one of the executive producers of the Stand Together podcast, and I lied to you. If you've been with us from the beginning, you'll recall me mentioning that that would be the last time you hear my voice. Well, I'm back, again joined by my friends and hosts of this here show, our brief historian of good and paradigm shifter, Evan Feinberg, the principals, Askia Ahmad and Jeff Proctor, and the bringer of perspectives herself, Ty Spells. Hey, everyone. How we doing? Hey. hey, hey. How you doing? doing well. I love it. Doing well. We took on a challenge this season to present our audience with a section cut of the most inspiring, disruptive, and innovative work by the most influential social entrepreneurs across our nation. With four episode types, Brief History of Good, Shifting Paradigms, principles, and perspectives, we wanted our audience, you, to understand how we got to where we are today, to hear a vision for a better social sector tomorrow, meet the nonprofit leaders and communities across the nation, empowering people to create lasting social change, and to amplify the voices of some incredible souls who were able to change their lives because someone simply believed they could. So, Evan, remind our listeners a little bit about sort of what we were hoping to accomplish with both the episode types that that you anchored on the show. Well, yeah, starting with the uh, brief history of good, it'll be, I mean, history matters and the context that we work in matters. And we've got to understand how did we get where we are and what does that mean for where we need to go from here? And so it was um, a real joy to to talk with my good friend Becky Endicott from the um, the podcast We Are For Good to just talk about a, a history of philanthropy and nonprofits and sort of how did we get where we are in America today? And so it was a, um, a really uh, insightful and, and interesting journey to go through that history and context. And then my, uh, you know, I really enjoyed the episode type of shifting paradigms because when we were talking about paradigms, we were talking about the most important stuff that I think we could be talking about together, yeah. um, which is to say the, the reason why a podcast is so interesting for Stand Together and for the work we do at Stand Together Foundation a podcast is interesting because we care about ideas. We care about principles. We care about the way people think about solving problems because paradigms are so much more scalable than methods and practices and specific solutions to problems. If we can really dig deep and understand how and why we think the way we do and how we should think in order to better solve problems and improve lives, I feel like we can make a ton of progress. And so in Shifting Paradigms, we really went deep with some really incredible thought leaders and uh, and folks who had perspectives that would enable us to, to really understand the insights behind the work. And it was a, a pretty exciting journey to go down. I love it. I love it. Oh, yeah. Jeff Ski? Well, for us, there was a lot wrapped up into it. I think the the biggest thing by far was just trying to be better and more popular than Evan's episode. <laughs> <laughs> Fail. No, yeah. no, we, uh, we set out with a couple goals. Uh, one, maybe at the highest level, was to figure out how to talk about being principle-based uh, as a person, as a decision maker, as an employee, as somebody who just uh, looks at what's going on in society and, and hopes things uh, can be better. Um, and contrasting that with maybe being a little bit more formulaic or, or rule-based and then as a bonus, uh, we got to use a few of the core principles that drives the Stand Together community um, specifically as examples and bring guests in around that. So I think kind of the one-two punch of let's talk about being a principle-based community and then let's get uh, some, some richness around the specific principles that we care about here. 
Yeah, and you know, and I think you know to that point also with with a number of the guests. I mean, being able to show at the pavement level these principles in action with a number of the guests. So it's it, it was amazing to see that come to fruition with these principles and practice. And our uh, bringer of perspectives, Ty. Um, I believe with perspectives, I was really shooting for a lot of times we are we are talking about ideas, we're talking about theories, we're talking about institutions, but we forget that these are not just barriers or problems we're trying to solve, but they're people. And so in perspectives, I wanted an opportunity for you to listen to these individuals who have overcome and come out better, although they experienced a barrier, they are not just that barrier problem. So perspectives, I wanted the listener to be able to understand the person. I love getting to talk to this team now and and thinking about the way that we set out to put this all together of of four shows that have four very different personalities and four different voices. It's crazy having you all in the room and sort of seeing all of that in real time. It's really cool. I I think as a, as an after, you know, Evan, it's, it's, it's like even looking at our vibes. Everyone's got, everyone's got a different style. You know, Evan's like business casual, but his sleeves rolled up. It's, like, <laughs> it's business, but we're going to get our hands dirty. You know, Ski's got the business casual, but he's got the sneaker, <laughs> sneaker dress shoes because he's going to move fast. You know, Jeff's got the shiny. You can't see Jeff's oh shoes right now. This whole bit is just so I could talk about Jeff's shiny yes, cowboy yes. boots. <laughs> shiny, shiny. There are moments. Yeah. There are moments. The, the, princ- the principal flair. I love it. I feel an Instagram <laughs> post coming on. <laughs> and then Ty is just, you know, coaching. In her in her little tracksuit, just super comfortable and, and sitting sitting in the pocket with with people getting real and having these human conversations. So, again, I just want to thank you all for for taking on this this season um, in the way that we did and so well. Well, Obi, I'll tell you one of my the one of my favorite parts of the season was not listening or even getting just to get into host my episodes, uh, but getting to listen to Ty's episodes and and Jeff and Ski's episodes. Yeah. I mean. These are mostly folks that I already know, and I know their stories. I know all about their organizations. And, man, was I blown away by what these uh, these other hosts were able to draw out of, uh, of these friends of ours and just – uh, really bring the listener into the work that we get to do every day. It was, it was pretty awesome. So I'm, I'm pretty thrilled to get to sit with this illustrious group today. Yeah, you know, I think it was just it, it was a uh, spot on, Evan, and and not because you mentioned the ones that I was hosting, but, <laughs> but your point. Being yeah, spot you really on. carried you really carried Jeff. Though, yeah. so thanks for doing that. You know, <laughs> hey, you know, I was called in to carry Jeff. <laughs> yeah, and so I was able to deliver, no doubt. Um, but it felt like you could tell that these were friends of ours. That was one of the most amazing things was to sit every week to listen to mm-hmm. friends of ours. Mm-hmm. It made me think about the importance of listening. So all of our individuals that we work with, they talk about the first time someone actually sat down and heard them or listened, and it shifted how they went about their next steps in life, how they looked at the outcome. And I believe that's the power of this podcast and the power of getting to spend these moments with you guys is that I got to take a moment and breathe and just listen, listen to your story as well as the people you were interviewing. And that shifted my perspective, which therefore shifted how I act in this world. Another interesting overlap I saw was just we did have the four distinct episodes, but you see elements mm-hmm. of each uh, other episode type. So if we're talking about principles, we're, we're getting paradigms. We're getting perspective, right? Everybody's commenting on what's going on in their space through a broader understanding of philanthropy and how we got to where we got in that space. And it was just really cool to see that even though we sort of designed this as four tracks and it was that um, – there is a meta narrative that goes across all of those mm-hmm. uh, in a really cool way. 
So if you're a listener who's only focused on one track, what Jeff is saying is <laughs> go back and do the full album album listen. No, this is definitely one of those albums you go from track one to track 12, mm-hmm. for sure. Fully, and, and listen, fully. you all are talking about albums. <laughs> do we still do albums these days? That's, is this vinyl? Can we do this on vinyl? <laughs> we'll be releasing a limited, limited edition vinyl of the Stand Together podcast. Um, let's get into some of the details of those, those standout moments with our friends. Can you all think of any sort of conversation, element of a conversation, um, surprising element of a conversation that that comes to mind when you think about the last, I don't know, three months of production on this thing? Well, I'll start the the very first episode that we did uh, in the uh, Shifting Paradigms episode type was with my good friend Lauren McCann, who was one of the very first staff members uh, with us here at Sandy Other Foundation. And we took a walk down memory lane. And it was just, it was really, uh, it was really, I don't know, there's something uh, very nostalgic about it for me. Um, but I, th- I thought there was a lot of insight uh, that we were able to draw out of the journey that we had been on at Stand Together Foundation to sort of discover the unique paradigm that we were approaching this work with relative to how other philanthropists and nonprofit organizations were operating. But what was really interesting was that Lauren brought it home by where she is today, which is to say that through her work with Stand Together Foundation, she herself overcame significant barriers in her life. She was, of course, quite successful already, but she herself is now in recovery from substance use, and she's not only in recovery but thriving and sitting on the board of the Phoenix, one of the organizations that we talked, obviously, to Scott Strode and to uh, Kaylee Jones and two other episode types. And it really just brought it all together for me, the work we've been doing from day one at Stand Together Foundation. to, But even in the midst of that paradigm episode, we got super personal and got a perspective, uh, just as, as Jeff was saying earlier, we kind of brought everything into every episode that that moment with uh, with my good friend and and uh, and colleague Lauren McCann was was really special. For me, there was a type of experience that happened a lot, which was something I did not expect, where I was really an audience member, not a host. Mm-hmm. And you know, with folks that I've talked with on multiple occasions, going back in some cases half a decade, and the one that really comes to mind for me was talking to uh, Kali about the. Uh, him seeing himself not as a fighter, but as a kid who couldn't read. I started a program about 15, roughly 15, 16 years ago um, as a result of me not seeing it in our community. It wasn't there. It was nothing there for the kids. And I've seen kids going through the same struggles that I myself went through as a, as a product of Detroit Public School, not to bash them, but you know, I came out of that school not being able to read or write. In the mm. 12th grade, I couldn't read. I noticed that in the third grade, and I, and I would just mm. have these behaviors, and I would just be labeled. And people would say, you're going to be dead in jail. You're not going to even be a, be a garbage man. But they gave, they gave me no other alternative other than being dead or in jail. They didn't say, and they would tell me, you can't be a garbage man. So now, what mm. am I going to do with my life? Yeah. And I didn't have the tools to tell them that I couldn't read. I didn't have the vocabulary. I didn't have the words to say that. So I went through life like that. And I, I noticed a lot of my friends go through that. And so we lost a lot of guys young, lost a lot of guys to prison. And so as an adult, somebody put it there. Somebody told me, they said, you know, the rest of the world don't live like this. And they mm. said, what do you want to do with your life? And I, I was being honest with myself. I said, I have to take a deep do- a deep look at myself. And I said, I want to know, learn how to read. Mm. And so I went back to school to learn how to read. And, and, I, and I started working hard. But then I looked in the community. It was still kids doing the same things that I was doing and being told the same things that I was being told mm. my whole life. 
And I made a choice right then. I said, man, let me start something, get these kids something to do besides go to jail or, or die young. And so I came up with the youth program idea. I started I start working with the kids in the community, and it's been a, um, it's been a joyous ride ever since. Him having that personal narrative that maps so well onto why they do what they do. Uh, I was I was a hundred percent in audience member mode sitting here in the studio, just let, hearing him go. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Well, you know, I, I think, um, and and I heard this throughout many of the episodes. Um, it, it was the power of the tongue, mm-hmm. and what happens when someone can, you know, really just kind of you know breathe life into another person by the words that they they share with that with that individual whether it be uh something um you know negative uh so in Kali's example Jeff as as you just mentioned uh Anton had made mention of you know the judge telling him hey you know you're going to be a menace to society mm-hmm. um or something like that uh and you know but the one that stuck out to me was uh with with Kaylee Jones and you know she said you know she she said something about you know, riding in the car with the cartel and they're saying to her, like, hey, what are you doing? So I I was doing a deal and the way that works is a, a vehicle pulls up, you drive in behind them, someone hops out, gets in that drug dealer's vehicle and then they drive for a minute so it's inconspicuous. Mm-hmm. And during that time that I was in the vehicle, it was this uh, beat up Toyota Corolla that smelled, I don't know, not it smelled like sickness. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And there were two people in the front and two people in the back, and they put me in the middle seat in between the two gentlemen in the back. And um, I remember they looked at me and they said, "Wera, why are you doing this to yourself?" Mm. And I thought, "Why do you care? Like I'm making you money, mm-hmm. right?" But in the back of my mind, there was this like, when the drug dealers are asking you why you're doing this to yourself. We might have a problem. We might have a problem. Like if the cartel is asking you clarifying questions. Right. You had members of the cartel that was helping guide her right, you know, Mm -hmm. helping her see that you have so much more to give to the world for you to to do. So anyway, I I just I mean, you know, even, you know, with Anton and he made mention of the of the person that was uh, in prison with him. And said, "Hey, you, you're a leader. Uh, so the power uh, that you know folks can share with just another human being can set them on a on a new trajectory in their life to allow them to go help positively impact the lives of others. So uh, th- those are kind of some of the standout moments for me. For me, I would say for perspectives, out of all my guests, they have every excuse to either be angry, see themselves as a victim, or give up. But they all made a choice." to say, I choose purpose and I choose service. That fascinated me. Um, Every time as I was listening to their story, I was asking myself, like, why are you not angry? Or like, Mm, why have you not just stopped? But they all said, we choose purpose, we choose hope, and we choose service. Mm. And that just really moved my heart. So when I'm having moments in my day-to-day where I get frustrated or I want to sit down and say, the world's not fair, I think back to my guests and I realize their perspective and say, nope, let's choose purpose, let's choose hope, and let's choose service. When I got the opportunity to sit down and speak with J.J. Velasquez, who was incarcerated for 23 years, he says a moment where he says, I want to invite anyone to become closer and learn more about those who are incarcerated. We're willing to invite anyone 
to learn for themselves what exists behind those bars. And that's the starting point. Once you realize that there are human beings being mistreated inside, then we can start to have a conversation about how we can change this. But until you understand what you're attempting to change, you're not really doing anything. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so I, I think it starts with proximity. And then from there, it's really about going back to the listening piece and listening to an individual and, and realizing how does this person fit in this puzzle? Mm-hmm. Where is this person's strength? Where is, this, where is their superpower? Right. And how do we harp on that to help change something? There is no absolutes. Again, everything is individual, you know, and um, we have to be willing. I, I know I am. I'm willing not only to 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 be a part of this movement, but to lead it. That is fascinating. It just moves my heart completely because you could get angry and you could give up on the whole society that didn't believe in you. But he chooses to believe in society and community and not only say, I want to lead towards goodness and grace. That was something that really spoke to my spirit and is something I'm cautious about. And it goes back to Ski, what you were talking about, listening. Um, He even mentions this part where he says, you can start to help someone to believe in themselves when you sit down and slow down long enough to listen to them. Mm -hmm. People have not felt listened to. Mm -hmm. Um, And that really shifted. When I'm in interactions with individuals and we have so much happening in life, you know, you're either on your phone, you're thinking about where I got to go to make this appointment on time. But when you sit down and say, I'm going to be positive, I'm going to be present, and I'm going to listen to this human that is in front of me, it's amazing what we can do and shift in our spirit as well as the world. I, yeah, I love all of those. I, I'm just going to give my favorite moment because I have a mic in my face. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I just thought I had I had one that was incredible as well as recording with Evan and uh, Dr. Soares and Anton. And I think for me, I've one thing that's I've come to understand about myself, something I'm very uh, passionate about, something that kind of brings me to life are multi, multi-generational spaces. Um, and I think it's realizing that as a 30-something-year-old millennial, there are so few multi, truly multi-generational spaces in our, in our sort of common square. And to sit and listen to this episode where we've got like a real OG in Buster, um, someone who's a good number of years younger than him and Antong, and then knowing that Antong is affecting the lives of someone or people who are, you know, 20, 20 years younger than him, understanding that these conversations aren't happening in, you know, generational silos. Our interventions come from the people, you know, because I think oftentimes people who study the problem, who write about the problem, they don't actually go to the people, the actual people in neighborhoods who have answers themselves. So anytime you try to parachute an answer in without including the people that you are studying, the people that it affects the most, it's a combination for a bad result. You know, it happens all over the country. People who do that, who bring in ideas that don't include the people, because it's this misnomer. You think that people in communities, they're not smart, or that they don't know the answer to what they're dealing with. And they do. they just never been asked. So with our way of looking at it, we always include in creating solutions the people who it affect the most. You know, you know what I've learned about that point, because it's absolutely correct. Yeah. When the people 
on the ground in the community are asked. What they're asked is about the what, but not the how. Exactly. So they'll do what's called needs assessments. Uh, we did that, and people say, we need jobs. We need um, youth programs. You, you know, everybody knows what they need. Right. And then they'll go off and go to the PhDs and the scholars and the, and the theoreticians to come up with the how. Mm-hmm. But the people not only have the what, but they have the how. And that how that you describe, Anton, right. is an example of, of letting the people describe the what and the how. Right. I agree. I hate, in some capacity, generational studies because it's like it's always the next generation is going to save us. And the last generation was boring and lame and we need to forget everything. And I was just like sitting there watching Dr. Sori's uh, speak wisdom while watching Anton speak energy. Um, is I th- that was such a quite frankly catalytic change environment when wisdom meets energy? I think yeah. that's mm-hmm. that's a place where we can just begin to rebuild and redefine yes. entire entire things, entire communities. So that was super fun for me to watch. I also think that's important because the reverence of understanding and the wisdom that you have to appreciate both perspectives. I think that's where we sometimes like miss the ball. Is like, oh, that generation matters. But I'm not going to listen to a younger generation. Right. Actually, both have something to bring to the table, and it's worth listening. And once you do that, that's when we can really start making an impact. When I think about that episode in particular, it brings me back to something that both Ski and, and I think Ty were alluding to. When you were talking about the power of language, you talked about Antong and these two moments in his life. The first where a judge sentences him to prison and says, you're a menace to society. And he then realizes, he has this moment that that he realizes that he's been causing harm. He had not thought of himself mm. that way. He was just surviving. Yeah. And then in prison, a an older gentleman in the prison coming to him and saying, young brother, you're a leader. If you can lead these men to do wrong, you can lead them to do right. Being this transformative moment in his, in his life. And this gets to, uh, I think, something not just, even more profound than just the language, that Antong Lucky's experience, having uh, been in it, mm-hmm. as having experienced the challenges himself, gave him a unique set of experiences and characteristics and capabilities that gave him an advantage in actually solving right. the mm-hmm. problems. Right. And you know, even when we sat here for this episode with Antong and Buster, you heard Antong go first in so many of the answers to to speak to the truth on the ground buster who as a uh, as obi called him an, an og right he, he's a pastor of a very large church he'd been doing this work for a long long time it was antong's very real time personal experience that he was leading the way with and then buster would share with us wisdom and he would extrapolate lessons and insights and so they both yeah. as you're saying that both generations had value and wisdom oh, yeah. to bring mm-hmm. to that but but I just can't get past this insight that kind of cut across the episodes that you know if I want to understand addiction issues in this country man do I want to be talking to Scott Strode and Kaylee Jones who've experienced addiction themselves who've overcome it and now are applying what they've learned to help others right I can't imagine uh, better experts yes. on the subjects than they are, but but our culture all too often trusts experts far away from the problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who've been studying it, have got some white papers or academic studies on it, and I think we we've, we've for too long been overlooking some of these incredible experts because of their lived experience, their own personal transformation. And I thought we were able to bring out a lot of that through this podcast. 
I'd never heard the term uh, proximate solutions until Lauren said it on the episode you released with her. And maybe just I don't play in the space enough. I should. But that that word that phrase proximate solutions I've then repeated a thousand times Mm because that makes so much sense the people who are in proximity are going to understand the reality I think their approach to the work has to be grounded in that different mindset around the problems they're trying to solve right we we were looking for organizations that were trying to solve these intractable problems that were innovating and that were agile and that were entrepreneurial and that had some insight into the populations they were trying to serve. And what was interesting was many of the groups that we selected, the leaders were not only proximate to the problem, but had suffered the problem themselves. That lived experience gave them that unique insight into how to engage. So, you know, if you're if you're trying to, quote unquote, solve the addiction crisis in America, you're going to want to go to somebody who is in recovery and that's successful in that recovery and build upon their learnings and their experience. If you're going to try to help people coming out of incarceration, you should go to individuals who have been incarcerated and understand the barriers they faced when they got out. And so some of the most amazing organizations that we saw had that insight because they had lived through that barrier and had overcome that barrier successfully and were trying to take that knowledge gained through that experience and disperse it to as many people as possible. We don't get to proximate solutions because, and this is what we got at the entire episode, which, which I, my, one of my, I really geeked out on the <laughs> Todd Rose episode. <laughs> Todd's a real hero of mine. I, I really loved it. And we got this. If you're looking for big average solutions across the entire society, you don't even look for proximate solutions mm-hmm. because you're just looking for big one size fits all standardized approaches proximate solutions by their nature are going to be very complex and dynamic and things that are working in one place aren't going to be what you do in another place because they're they've got to be up close they've got to be proximate and dynamic and so i I just don't think many people are looking Mm -hmm. for proximate solutions because they're saying well geez those those local solutions could never be the answer for everyone Mm -hmm. so i'm not even going to pay attention to them. well you know evan i think to that point right that um what the the proximate solutions also takes into account the folks looking to help solve or leverage these solutions in 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 that proximity they also understand the context for their locale Mm -hmm. and i think that's probably one of the difficulties of trying to just go and kind of scale and take you know get these average you know large average solutions is they become void of the context that's so critical and necessary you know in a particular community and so you know i think these proximate solutions definitely take into consideration context and that matters a ton i think a lot of times too the the, maybe the industry as a whole either misunderstands or at least fully doesn't fully appreciate the idea of scale so scale doesn't just mean or needn't just mean we find one thing that works and we do it everywhere uh, I think a bigger part of what we're hoping to do here is scale the opportunity for people with lived experience to make the kind of transformation that they're making in their community so we don't need the same solution in every community what we do need is people with the right experience and the right distance from the problem in every community to be able to be well positioned to be successful. And it, I think it's an 
edit on what we mean when we say scale that can be confusing yeah, if we don't acknowledge it. This is one of my favorite moments from the season, and you can tell I'm sort of like the philosophy geek of the of the group here. Uh, well, I mean, just general geek. Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not limit ourselves. Yeah, right. not. Uh, you know, when when Todd shared this idea of active versus inactive ingredients in our episode, mm-hmm. and he was saying, so when he was talking about this, he was trying to articulate what scales and doesn't scale. And, and he, he got it in, in, into the cooking metaphor. And it's like, well, everyone's trying to scale up this sort of whole recipe for, uh, for the, the thing that's going to get scaled all over the country. But as it turns out, it's not all of the particulars. There were some active and inactive ingredients, mm-hmm. some things that really mattered. Right. And then some things that didn't matter at all to, to recreating the recipe. And I think all too often in uh, in nonprofits, we treat it just like a cookbook and we just try to follow the recipe mm-hmm. to a T. And that's not how things scale. But there are scalable elements, elements yeah. Yeah. of what's working. And the the cool thing about the guests we had on the season um, was that they were able to sort of think about what what the you know, think, I think about Scott Strode in particular. Yeah. Scott knows the active and inactive ingredients in the Phoenix to the point where even though everyone thinks of it as a peer to peer physical fitness approach to addiction recovery, he's like the physical fitness is an ingredient, yeah. but it's not necessarily the active ingredient. The mm-hmm. active ingredient is the community, yes. the support for one another, that each person's recovery is an asset to the community. And so they get mutual benefit from offering that. And so the the safe and supportive culture that they build at the Phoenix is the the thing. And they could replace physical fitness with book clubs or going to concerts together or any number of things. And they've scaled the active and not inactive. I thought Todd's language around that was awesome. And then I thought we heard that through our other guests. Yeah. Now, now I did see that the Phoenix does have some cooking classes too. So just so right, so right you to go. your yeah. point, Evan. Yeah. They, there you go. I think something that stood out for me was with all of our guests was they invited society, community, and every listener to be a part of it. So I think that really makes a difference as well. So I love Evan just mentioned sometimes we're looking and then you're like, oh, well, this might be the easiest or this might be the one size fits all. But it also speaks to those who are doing it through proximity that they are inviting Mm -hmm. others to take part in it. Um, Even when things are necessarily one size fits all. I think whenever you're working with these individuals who have realized what is their active ingredient and they know that it's working, they're not saying do exactly what we're doing. They're saying take the time to get active in your community, understand what could be the active ingredient to make a difference in your community. And they're inviting you to take part of the journey and the process with them. And I believe that's what all of our guests do that makes them stand out in this space, as well as really speaks to why they are partners in our community. Yeah, no doubt. All beautiful moments, all incredible moments. I, I'm sure we could sit here for another hour and a half, three hours and talk about some moments through through this podcast. As we've sort of gone gone into these conversations with our guests, and we've gotten our legs under us, and we've we've gotten more comfortable in front of these these giant microphones, um, <laughs> talking to friends, it's just been this peeling back of this layered sort of present of of hope and and of excitement, um, and not sort of ignoring the the real reasons to despair or ignoring the real the challenges that are in front of us, but really building that foundation of hope from the reality. Um, and from the proximity. So my, my I guess, final question, um, and I'm just going to direct this directly to Evan, um, fearless leader, uh, Evan Feinberg, what comes next for the Stand Together podcast? Where where do you see this? You know, if you had all your druthers about you, where, where do we go from here? How do we how do we build on this? 
Well, I've got one last favorite moment from the season that we didn't talk about elsewhere, and it was when uh, Dr. Soares and Antung had this incredible conversation about what they had learned from Viktor Frankl. Uh, and, you know, Frankl's, you know, in his, in his um, famous writings, he talks about how he who has a why can bear with almost any how. And they were describing that, uh, that concept, but, but they actually were, were um, backing up to talk about how if you're trying to drive historic changes and true social change, people always set out to change the big system, to change society, to, to make this massive change. But Dr. Soares really told us that people create systems. When you look at historic changes that have been positive for the general good, it always starts with individuals. It starts with a transformative value system. Systems are simply the amplification of people. Systems don't exist exist separate from people. People create systems, and people change systems. You know, my problem is I read Viktor Frankl as a young man. Viktor Frankl in a Jewish concentration camp, a German concentration camp where Jews were just treated like like nothing. Viktor Frankl said, I am in a concentration camp, but the concentration camp is not in me. <laughs> and, wow. and it was transformative to see someone in a, tr- in, a, in a concentration camp say that I can rise above my circumstances. And once I read that, I couldn't unlearn it. You know, it it just wow. changed my life. Doc, I, and Victor Frank was one of my favorite authors, and I've read him in prison. That's how I got through prison. Right. Finding your why. Your why. Find your why to live. And so where is the podcast going from here? We want people to hear these ideas and act on them, to be empowered themselves, to empower others to realize their full potential, to come up with new and better ways to serve their neighbors, their communities. Um, whatever it is we hope, whatever it is that each person can do to contribute to this, we want them to go from here thinking and tackling problems differently. And if we if we're going to have such a big audacious goal of doing that, we're going to have to come out with some more content. <laughs> we're going to need to produce more. more. So you know, so we hope that our wonderful friends and listeners that have been on this journey with us continue on it. And so yeah. we're hard at work uh, on another season of the Stand Together podcast. So mm-hmm. folks should be uh, should be on the lookout. Uh, it's probably going to be in 2023 that we really begin to to publish. The next, uh, the next season of the Stand Together podcast, and we're going to keep diving deep in not only these problems and these these helpers that are helping, but really draw out the insights and the stories that hopefully can lead to that broader uh, culture change around empowerment and around believing in people that we've been talking about. So we look forward to being with everyone again soon. And in the meantime, we hope that folks will drop us a podcast review that they'll let us know what they thought about this season. Uh, We want to know what you want to hear more of, uh, what you especially liked, what you hated and we shouldn't do any more of. Um, And and with that, we just really are so grateful and thank each and every person that's listening to this podcast for being a part of it. And with that, uh, who wants to start us off for our final sign-off of the season? 
The Stand Together podcast is a product of the Stand Together Foundation. It's produced by Stand Together and Bittersweet Creative with executive producers Obia Kolo and Robert Winship. Editing, engineering, and sound design by Robert Winship. As always, special thanks to producers Molly Ringle and Elgin Cato for herding cats and filling in the gaps that made this all possible. And a huge thank you to all the friends we had on the show who shared their stories, insights, and made this season so special. And to you, our listener, thank you for joining us for this pilot season of the Stand Together podcast. We now know that this is only the beginning, so keep listening and keep sharing. Let us know what you loved and what you'd love to hear more of as we work on what comes next. I'm Evan Feinberg. I'm Oski Ahmad. I'm Jeff Proctor. I'm Ty Spells. From all of us here at the Stand Together podcast, thank you, and we'll see you soon. Um, as we've engaged with our guests, has been just just the peeling back of this beautiful little you know hope onion. Ooh, run that back. <laughs> that doesn't sound pretty at all. <laughs> I love hope onions. They're my favorite kind of onions. Yeah, right. <laughs> hope onion. Tell me more. <laughs>